If you've got a Bible this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, let me remind you, in Kenya, we got to preach for an hour and a half, so I appreciate your willingness to stick around this morning. I'm looking at the time thinking, are we already at a quarter to 12? So by the grace of God, 1230 is our our stop time today. Uh, This morning, I want to share a message with you that we actually prepared to preach in Kenya, and the message is entitled, The Church is an Army. Uh, These two conferences that we preached for these pastors in Kenya were focused on the local church. And we talked about the seven things that the Bible tells us the local church is. The local church is the bride, the bride of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. The church is a body, the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. The church is a family. God is the Father, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we are sons of God if we're born again. The Bible teaches us that the church is a flock, and Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And and he delegates his authority to his under-shepherds, pastors through the local church. We learn that, that the church is a vineyard, And as the vineyard, Jesus Christ is the vine. And the only way that we can bear fruit is through abiding in Christ. We learned that the church is a building and it's made up of living stones. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And then we learned that a church is an army. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. As we talk about missions, as we talk about what the church is, what we talk about our church is supposed to be. Our church is supposed to be all seven of those things, including the fact that we are an army, and Jesus Christ is our commander-in-chief. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, I want to read this, uh, these verses to you, and then let me pray, and then we'll, we'll hit it running fast. The Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." So God, God's word tells us, as Paul is writing to Timothy, that someone has chosen Timothy to be a soldier, a good soldier, of Jesus Christ. And soldiers belong in an army. And an army is to accomplish a mission for the commander-in-chief. And so as we, as we spend time in the word of God today, will you open your hearts to what the Spirit of God and the word of God have to say? Father, we love you. Thank you for what we've, we've rehearsed about Kenya. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for those pastors and the ministry, God. We pray for them. We lift them up. God, we're encouraged by them, Lord, that that financially and even materialistically, they may not have what we have. That's actually a good thing because what they do have is the ministry, and they're faithful to that. And, And God, they're an example to us as a church that we need to be about your business. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go. I pray the preaching was an encouragement to them. Bless them. And now encourage us, Father, from your word. And may we be changed because of what we hear. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning on the other side of that sheet, let me give you a couple of blanks. Number one, God's word tells us because we are an army, the local church is an army, we are called to be soldiers. We are called to be soldiers. And if we go back to that verse, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ chose Timothy, he chose Paul, and he chose us to be soldiers in his army And that happened at the moment of salvation. And let me remind you that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you chose him. You accepted Christ's payment on the cross for your sin. You realized that you were a debtor to God for your sin, that you and your flesh could not pay the penalty that was required. 
and you understood that Christ died on the cross, the sinless, perfect Son of God paid the price that you deserved for your sin, and when you put your faith and trust in His finished work of the cross and you choose Him to save you and receive Him by faith, the instant that happens, Jesus Christ chooses you to be a soldier in His army. And so here's the key principle in your notes. When you choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus chooses you to be a soldier in his army. In other words, you got drafted at the moment of salvation. You say, well, I didn't sign up for that. You didn't have to sign up for it. When you accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, you signed up for it because the word of God says that Christ chose you. Exodus 15 and verse 3 says that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And God chooses us and charges us to be a part of his army, to be about his mission. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 says, Who goeth to warfare at any time at his own charges? And again, we're talking about an army. We're talking about a war. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Well, the church is an army. The church is a vineyard. Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk thereof? Oh, by the way, the church is a flock. And so in that verse, God tells us that there are at least three things that the church is, one of which is an army. And that means that we're called to engage in spiritual warfare. God has called us, commissioned us, charged us, and sent us forth into battle. Now, you may be sitting here today and say, well, I don't feel like a soldier. Maybe I'm incapable of being a soldier. I'm, I'm weak, I'm fearful, I'm afraid. Well, let me remind you that God's word tells us that we're soldiers in his army. The ability to serve Christ and to engage in spiritual warfare is not based on our ability or our strength. It's based on God's ability and his strength. If we were to take the time to go back to the Old Testament, there's a very good picture of this with the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 6, many of you know that Israel was in bondage to who? To who? to Egypt, and they were under the persecution of a man named Pharaoh, and that's a great picture of our sin and our bondage to sin and our persecution under the devil as our lostness and our, and our lostness and our sin. God delivered Israel through the blood of a lamb. In Exodus chapter 6, God gives instruction to Aaron and Moses, and he says, to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. That's very interesting. When God looked at Israel and said, I want you to bring out this nation of people redeemed by the blood of the lamb, God used a very specific term to address them. He didn't say bring them out as a nation, bring them out by their families, bring them out by their tribes. God said, you bring them out by their, their armies. Because God knew that at the moment of choosing them and, and redeeming them, he was choosing them to fight, in the Old Testament, a physical battle, a physical warfare. Exodus 12 and verse 51, it came to pass the selfsame day, the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. And so Israel's salvation from, from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb was also a calling to be a soldier. They were brought out by their armies. And in the same way, Christian, God, when you chose and received Christ as your Lord and Savior, God chose you, charged you, commissioned you 
to be engaged in a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle for the souls of men and for the word of God against spiritual enemies. That's what God called you to do. The church is an army, whether you agree with it or not. The question is, are we good soldiers of Jesus Christ? Are we a good army? We need to understand that there are many soldiers in God's army. Timothy is just one of many soldiers that Christ commissioned in charge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And, and I don't know if you, you know, paid a lot of attention to English, but the, the word our is plural. It's a plural pronoun. And Paul says that, that this is our warfare. Not just Timothy's, not just Paul's, it's our warfare. And, and so listen, we aren't in this battle alone. God's called us as a local church to be a, brand, a band of brothers, a, a combined infantry unit to fight alongside each other, to trust each other in the heart of battle, and to engage in this spiritual warfare for the souls of men and for the word of God. And that may not be what you thought you signed up for at the moment of salvation, but that's what God called you to. That's what God called you to. And it is, it is our warfare. There are many soldiers. Paul even goes on in Philippians and Philemon, and he mentions some other men. Epaphroditus, he calls him in Philippians 2, verse 25. He says, Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier to me. He says in Philemon, verse 2, that Archippus is a fellow soldier to us. And so God has called us to be soldiers. God's chosen us to be soldiers and then the second point in your notes is God's called us to be strong soldiers. He's called us to be strong soldiers. And, and, and many of you, several of you, not many, but several of you in this church have served time in our military. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for the, the, the armed forces in our country. I grew up in a military home. I'm thankful for my father's service. Uh, Lord, uh, you, you understand from that example that that. When, when someone enlists in the army or enlists in the Marines or whatever, the first thing they do is they, they ship them off to boot camp. And it's a preparation process to get ready to become a soldier. And there's physical preparedness and mental preparedness and emotional preparedness. And it's understanding chain of command and authority because soldiers need to be strong to be good soldiers. And, and there's, a, there's a process that every soldier goes through to get ready for battle. So let's go back to the Bible. Second Timothy chapter two and verse one, it says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Verse two, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be good soldiers of Christ, we have to be strong soldiers. We have to be spiritually strong soldiers. Uh, our, our army years ago, maybe you remember this slogan, we, we, our armed forces every now and then they have a slogan that just promotes kind of their ideals or whatnot. Do you guys remember the slogan, Army Strong? You remember the slogan, Army Strong? And, and that, what that represented was, we're, strength, we're strong because of our numbers. We're strong because of each other. It's not just one individual soldier that can go to battle. One soldier doesn't make an army. But dozens of soldiers does, does, hundreds of soldiers, hundreds of soldiers do. It, we're strong because we have numbers, and, and, and so listen, we, we need to be strong in some things. Uh, as we look at the Bible, verse one tells us that the first thing that we need to be strong in is we need to be strong in God's grace, and and this is where it's going to get practical. 
because, because I've, I've taught us this morning that we, we're called to be soldiers in God's army. What does that specifically look like? Well, we have to be strong soldiers. Uh, we have to be prepared for battle. We have to go through basic training. We would call that discipleship at our church. We need to be prepared. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve God's grace, but God gives it to us anyways. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, when, when Paul was dealing with this thorn in the flesh, you know, he asked the Lord three times to, to take it away. And, and I believe if God's going to answer anybody's prayer outside of Jesus Christ, he's going to answer the Apostle Paul's prayer, the greatest Christian in the New Testament. Paul asked God to take away this thorn in the flesh because he was suffering. And God's response was, in verse 9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, that's somebody that's strong in the grace of God. If you're going to be a good soldier, it doesn't mean that you have it all figured out, that in the power of your flesh, you can do ministry, that you know all the answers. No, being a strong soldier means that you're dependent on God's grace. That's what it means. It, it means that God's unmerited favor is what gives you the ability to do anything for his glory. It's really not even you. It's God's grace doing it through you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, the Bible says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that, all, that ye ha having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And so we have to learn to be strong in God's grace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. It's not me that labors, but it's the grace of God in me. And so Paul said, I labored more abundantly than any other apostle. But it wasn't me, it was the grace of God. We need to learn to be strong in God's grace. We, we have to learn to be strong in God's grace so that we can endure hardness. You see, when soldiers face difficulty, the worst thing they can do is quit and give up. But how many Christians do we know, don't look at your neighbor, that as soon as something gets hard, they give up. They go AWOL. They go missing. They check out. They don't come to church anymore. They stop discipleship. They stop witnessing. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. They're enduring hardness. They, they're experiencing hardness, but they're not enduring hardness because they're not yet strong in God's grace. You see, grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is getting up in the morning and saying, God, I can't do it. But I trust that you can. God, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weak. But you're not. God, I feel underprepared. But you're bigger than that. God, I'm in another country. How can you ever use me in another country? Well, your grace is sufficient. God, there's a translator. How in the world is this even going to go through a translator and get the right things communicated? It's only by the grace of God. We have to learn to be strong in God's grace. Number two, we need to learn to be strong in the Lord. We need to learn to be strong in the Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's the power of his might that should give us strength. Can I just tell you, there's no one stronger than your God. Your flesh is not stronger, so quit trying. There's no other thing that is strong. There's no other power greater than the power of the Lord. 
And it's his strength that we need to learn to rely on. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, listen, by his spirit in the inner man. So we need God's grace and we need the strength of the spirit of God working within us. Listen, the Spirit of God is the very power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you read 1 Corinthians. It is the power that God has given us, not the spirit of fear, but according to 2 Timothy, 2, or 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so my strength doesn't reside in the power of my flesh, my ability. My strength is rooted in the strength of the Lord, by the Spirit of God. Did you hear what the, the brother said? Can we get the word, if we can just get the word of God into Uganda, then God will manifest his, his, himself to these people. God's spirit will use the word of God to reveal the person of God to the people that need to hear it. It's only by the spirit of God. It's only by God's strength. And then number three, we need to learn to be strong in God's word. If we're going to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we need to be strong in God's word. Even in our American military, when people go through basic training, they have qualifications that must be, might be met to use a weapon. You, you, get, you get signed off on the fact that you can use a weapon properly and accurately. And God tells us that we need to be strong in his word. In, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, I've written unto you young men. He's talking about spiritual young men because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. And you've overcome the wicked one. And we're not going to take the time to, to lay out the seven levels of, of, of spiritual growth. But, but there comes a time in a Christian's life where they ought to be strong in God's word. They ought to be strong in it. There ought to be spiritual young men that can handle God's word because we're engaged in a battle. And sadly, in our culture of Christianity... Number one, we don't have the Word of God being taught from pulpits in this, in this country, which makes it very hard for the saints of God to be strong in it. But we also have to put the time in. We need to go through discipleship. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. How long are we going to be weak in God's Word and disengaged in the battle? I say the time is to stop now. We need to move forward. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong in his grace, and we need to be strong in his word. When God called the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he knew that they were going to be an army. He knew they weren't ready for warfare just yet. In Exodus 13, the Bible tells us that he moves Israel away from war around the Philistines until they were mature enough to fight. And there's a time of preparation, there's a time of spiritual growth and development that every Christian should experience, but then they should grow and mature, and then they should be capable soldiers in God's army. Number three, we need to be soldiers that please God. We need to be soldiers that please God. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see, a, soldier, a soldier's life isn't a life concerned with himself or the things that he can uh, acquire in this life. As a matter of fact, a soldier's life is, is a life of discipline. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of minimal means so that the battle can be fought. 
and victory can be won. A soldier serves to please his commanding officer. A soldier serves to take the battle to the battlefront that's in front of him so that God can get victory. Even Jesus Christ didn't live this life to please himself, which I find very ironic because most Christians do. John chapter 8 and verse 29 says, Christ himself says, He that sent me is, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that I want to do. That's not what he said. I, I just do the things that make me happy and comfortable in this life. That's not what Christ said. I do the things that please who? Him. So ask yourself the question, Christian. Do you live your life for you? Or do you live your life to please the Lord? And a good soldier of Jesus Christ desires to please him as their commanding officer. A, a good soldier of Jesus Christ realizes this battle is more real than any physical battle that has ever taken place because it's for the souls of men and for the word of God. And I have to live my life in a way that pleases God with the rest of my life. That's what I'm called to. And oh, by the way, he's worth it. If you ever think that he's not worth it, remember the cross. And remember the payment that he paid for you. We talk about American soldiers being willing to lay down their life. And I'm thankful because they are and have and continue to do so. And we have a great picture through the American soldier. We have a great picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's only one that died that can take away our sin. And it's Christ and so our, our heart's desire should be to please him with our life. And so number one, we're called to be soldiers. Number two, we're called to fight. We're called to fight. It's really hard to take an hour and a half sermon and will it down to 30 minutes. We're called to fight. So number one, we're called to war, a good warfare. God tells Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy in the word of God, 1 Timothy 1 verses 18 and 19, he says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went on before thee, that thou by them, by the prophecies, might as war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, had made shipwreck. God wants us to war a good warfare. If we're going to be a good soldier, we need to war a good warfare. And if we're going to war a good warfare, we have to do it the way God told us. We have to do it with the Word of God. If we don't know what we're fighting for and what we're fighting against, then, then we're going to spend a lot of time in battles that aren't really the right battles. We'll get to that in just a minute, but, but, but listen, you got to be engaged in battle. Soldiers are called to war, a good warfare. That's an action verb. So there's no room for passive Christians in God's army. We're called to war, a good warfare. Number two, we're called to put on our armor because every soldier needs to have on the right attire. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and, and this is the passage, again, that many of us know. This is the, the armor of God, the whole armor of God, where it talks about uh, we're, we're to put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, whereunto take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. God tells us to put that armor on. Again, that's a call to action. In order to put, on, in order to put the armor of God on, you've got to put off the old man. 
You see, the problem is for us as saved individuals, we have to make a choice every morning. We're either going to put on the armor of God and, and what our life is going to look like as Jesus Christ, or we're going to put on the old man, the old J goes on. And, and the old J, by the way, is not able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the old J is not able to fight in a spiritual battle. And the old J is not going to war a good warfare. And the old J is not going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I've got to put him off so I can put on the armor of God. That's an action. That's a call to action. We're going we're gonna to be engaged in battle either way. You don't get a choice. The question is, will you withstand? Will you stand the attack that's coming against you? Number three, we've got to hold our weapon. In a spiritual battle, you've got to have a spiritual weapon. And that weapon's the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And listen to what it can do. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. There's no physical weapon that can do that. The Bible says that the Word of God can discern and, and divide between the joints and the marrow. It can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. What a powerful weapon. Well, that's why when somebody opens this book and begins preaching and teaching this book, God, through His Holy Spirit, can begin to cut and carve and pierce right to our very heart because that book's alive. It's a spiritual weapon. And, and, and listen, we need to hold fast to the faithful word, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. We need, to, we need to hold fast to the word of God with every circumstance of our life. You see, many times as Christians, we, this is the last place we run when things get hard. We would do well to run here first. What does God's word say about X, Y, Z? Let's start there instead of pursuing every other avenue of, of choice and decision and discernment. Let's start here first. Let's hold fast the faithful word. Let's hold the weapon of the word of God because this is the only thing that can give us victory. There's an Old Testament example of some of David's mighty men. 2 Samuel chapter 23, the Bible talks about a man named Eleazar, the son of Dodo. So now you're thankful for your parents' name after reading that. The Ahoite. The Bible says of this man that, that, that when he smote the Philistines in verse 10, he arose and he smote the Philistines, listen, until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. He just wasn't letting go of his weapon. I'm in a battle. It's against a, a real enemy. The Philistines were a real enemy. And I have no chance of survival without this weapon. And the Bible says that he was weary, but his hand clave to the sword. He was not letting go. And the Bible says the Lord wrought, wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned to him only after the spoil. When I was, when I was younger in high school, uh, a buddy of mine that I played basketball with uh, tricked me. He was like, hey, man, I need some help. Can you come over and help me uh, one day uh, after practice or whatever? So we go to, I go to his house. Uh, they're bailing hay. Number one, uh, you know, I hate your guts now, uh, square bales, okay? And so his dad had cut this field and had baled hay, and it's the square bales, 
And, and if you've anybody ever done that, you know how it goes, man. You, you get on the back of the truck, and, and one guy's stacking on the truck, and the other guys are, are picking up those bales and throwing them to the truck. And so we're grabbing these things, and I don't, I don't know what a square bale weighs. Back, back then, I was in okay shape. But, but after about six hours of that, I tried to straighten my hand out, and it wouldn't. <laughs> I had just been grabbing those hay bales for so long, all day long, rep after rep after rep, throwing those things. And then I, you know, get in my car to drive home, and it's like, you know, I just grab that steering wheel, and I can't let go because, because I'd just gotten so used to cleaving those hay bales that I couldn't straighten my hand out. It took a couple of days. I'm trying to eat. I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, man, and it just jacked up, man. Everything was just messed up. God wants us to hold his word like that. God wants us to hold his word so tight that you can't let go so that you can have victory in the midst of the battle. And then, and then letter D is that we need to learn to keep rank. God's called us to war. We need to put on the armor. We need to hold our weapon. We need to keep rank. First Chronicles 12 and verse 38, it, the Bible talks about, again, some men of war uh, that came to David. And it said very specifically about these men, these men of war, that they could keep rank. They came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make king Uh, to make David king over all Israel. You know, in any army, there's always a chain of command. There's always an order of authority. And and like it or not, in our current situation, our president is the commander-in-chief, and then that authority goes down to secretaries of defense, joint chiefs of staff, into the different branches of our military, and then within each of those branches are ranking officers, four-star generals and down, lieutenant generals, major general. Uh, brigade general, all those different things. The point is, in God's army, there's still rank. And the chief commander is him. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the, is the head, he's the commander-in-chief of his army. And he relegates that authority down through his chain of command into the local church level through pastoral leadership, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember the, them that have the rule over you, which have spoken to you the word of God. The point is, God uses structure. God uses order. I'm not tooting my own horn. It's by the grace of God that I'm the pastor of this church. I'm thankful. I'm humbled. Whoever the pastor is of any church, God's delegated that authority down through the local church, through pastoral leadership, and that's the way he's done it. And so we need to learn to keep rank. We need to learn to keep rank in the local church. God never delegated committees to run a local church. He never delegated deacons to run a church. He delegated to pastoral leadership. Bishops, elders, pastors, all the same word. That's who he runs his church through under his leadership. And so as a pastor, I don't get to choose what this church does. We've got to do what God's word tells us. He's the commander-in-chief. And so the orders that we get come from above, and we're just communicating it to the church army so we can get engaged in battles. That makes sense? You guys okay with that? And then letter E, we're called to endure hardness. And this is the part of the lesson that I don't like, because just like you, I don't like hard things. That's why I don't exercise. Now, I do like eating donuts. And in my experience, that's not really hard at all. As a matter of fact, I rather enjoy it. And if there's any left, as soon as I get down, I'm going to get another one. Enduring hardness is something that none of us like to do. That's the life of a soldier, though, because life is hard. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and I think that reference is wrong, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 or, or chapter 1, uh, the point is that we have to learn to endure hardness. Hardness is something that we can't overcome or avoid as a Christian. Can I just tell you, the people that say once you get saved, your life is going to just absolutely be perfect in Jesus Christ and you'll never have any trouble in this life, they're lying to you. <laughs> they're lying to you. And the reason we endure, have to endure hardness is because we're in a battle, and battle is hard. Most Christians don't like hardness. I certainly don't. When things get hard, I look for a way to ease the pain, ease the suffering, and ease the hardness. God says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we have to, en- to learn to endure some hard things in this life. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, again, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. And for those of you that especially feel like you're called into the ministry, let me just tell you, that's a pastoral epistle. And if you're going to be called into the ministry and, and, and be available for God to use you as a pastor or as a missionary, you're going to have to learn to endure afflictions because that's just part of it. Paul is our model for that. He says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 11, he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, here's the hard things, afflictions which came upon me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions, what did Paul say he did with those? He endured them. And, And can you look at the last part of that verse? How many of those afflictions did God deliver him from? All of them. And can I just tell you that if you'll just learn to endure affliction, well, your God is going to deliver you from all of them, even if you die, because that's a deliverance. I mean, if the Bible's true, it says to live is Christ and to die is what? It ain't loss, it's gain. And our God is able to deliver us when we endure the difficulties of life and ministry then the Lord can deliver us. And and Paul had tremendous experience with affliction and persecutions and being stoned and shipwrecked and naked and hungry and, and attempted murder on his life and on and on and on. And the point is, he never gave up on Christ. He never stopped being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay, number three, and we're done. What are we called to avoid as soldiers? We're called to avoid entanglement. And I want to have you go back to that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One of the things that's a danger for any Christian is that we get entangled with the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2 verses 3 to 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's worth memorizing, by the way. That, that passage is, is powerful. God says if we're not careful, the thing that will fight against us are the affairs of this life. And by the way, that's a good word. Because when we step out on Christ, we are committing spiritual adultery in our relationship. When we, when we let the things of this life entice us and entangle us from being fully committed to Christ in the ministry... We have stepped out on our relationship with him and pursued affairs of this life. Let me remind you that this life is temporal. And the things in this life are temporal. And the riches and the pleasures of this life 
are temporal. Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, the parable of the seed and the sower, right? The sower sows seed of the word of God. Some of it fell on the ground that had thorns. And God tells us that those thorns are they which when they have heard the word of God, they go forth and they're choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And if you want to know the three things that the local church in 21st century America struggles with, it's the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And ultimately, there's no fruit. There's just no fruit. And God says, if we're going to be a good soldier, we have to avoid entanglement with these things. You don't see a soldier going to battle with everything that he owns in tow. He's an easy target. He's ineffective. He has to be able to be mobile and make decisions and take cover and attack. And you can't do that when you have the things of this life and this world weighing you down. Colin talked about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And for some of us, it is the sin that easily besets us. We're not good soldiers because we keep living in sin. But for some of us, it's the weights. We can't do what God's called us to do because there's so much weighing us down that we've become entangled. We've got to avoid that as soldiers of Jesus Christ. Number, number B, or letter B. I got corrected in Kenya that, that B is not a, le- a number. I say that all the time, and then my friend James DeCoker corrected me. You can't find his body now. But anyways, <laughs> letter number B, James. Second thing we can't do as a soldier is go AWOL. In other words, as a Christian, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not afforded the luxury to not show up and be, be ready for battle. You know, there's a man named Demas mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says, Demas hath forsaken me. Paul's writing this. The reason he's forsaken me is because he's loved this present world. He's a, he's a soldier that in other portions of Scripture, Paul says, is with me. Demas greets you. But now, because Demas loved this present world, he has absolutely gone AWOL. He's absent without leave. He's not even showing up for battle. He's not disciplined. He's unfaithful. He refuses to mature. He refuses to learn the word of God, and he refuses to participate in ministry. We can learn a lot from Demas because when we love this present world, that's where we're headed. We're not but just a few steps away, away of becoming a Demas. You know, in our military, someone that, that abandons their post faces severe punishment in our, in our, in our American military. You know, if you're AWOL uh, for less than three days, that can result of a, a maximum penalty of confinement for a month. I mean, if you don't show up and abandon your post for three days, you can be in the brink for a month. You can forfeit your pay. After 30 days, service members face dishonorable discharge. They forfeit all their pay and allowances and it could lead to a one-year confinement. After 30 days, especially in a time of battle, a soldier is automatically considered to have deserted his or her post without proof of intent. And during a time of war, that could even result in a penalty 
up to and including court-martial and death. Now, if our American military has that high of a standard on abandonment, what do you think Jesus Christ thinks of that? What do you think of Christ thinks of people that he has saved, redeemed, delivered from Egypt, chosen to be soldiers in his army to war a good warfare, and they're going AWOL. He is a good commander-in-chief, and he is gracious, but I, but I do think it bothers him. Letter C, we need to learn to fight in the power of the flesh instead of the spirit. We've mentioned this before. The Spirit, is, the Spirit of God is the power of God in our life. We've got to remember we're engaged in a spiritual battle. Let me remind you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says that we, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. We have to have a spiritual strategy to win this warfare. And lastly, letter D, we need to make sure we're not fighting the wrong enemy. You know, there's too many Christians that have been casualties of friendly fire. You ever received some friendly fire in a church? I have. I've probably given some too. And you probably have too. We've we got to remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, our warfare is against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We have an adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may destroy and devour. That person to the left or right of you is not your enemy. That lost person that lives next to you that acts like a lost person, they're not your enemy. Those people that haven't received the gospel yet, they're not your enemy. Those backslidden Christians that live like lost people, they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. The real enemy is principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual influences. Your president's not the enemy. Your Congress is not the enemy. Al-Qaeda is not the enemy. The Taliban is not the enemy. They're just lost people that need to be saved from their sin. You say, well, uh, are, are you telling me you're not a patriot? Well, you probably don't know me too well. <laughs> but I know that we don't battle against flesh and blood. This spiritual army doesn't battle against flesh, flesh and blood. And God's instituted government, and we can talk about that, and we can go down the rabbit hole of, of the biblical mandate for government to wage physical war, and it is biblical, and they should. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to be empowered by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to engage in a spiritual warfare. Greatest soldier to ever walk this planet Lord Jesus Christ. Endure hardness for us, obeyed his father's command, laid down his life so that we could be free. Aren't you thankful for that? Listen, that example for us should motivate us to live like Christ. You know, this morning we have the Lord's Supper. We have a few minutes, so we're going we're gonna to transition to the Lord's Supper now. But, but let me just remind you, everything that we've talked about Man, we are an army, and, and God's our commander-in-chief. Christ is our commander-in-chief. But at the end of the day, all that points to him and the way he's lived his life.
and the way he's sacrificed himself for our sin. And so as we get ready to, to transition and receive the Lord's Supper, I want to ask you just to bow your heads and, and let us pray and just think about what we've learned today. You know, some of us may say, you know what, I'm not a good soldier. The truth is I've, I've gone AWOL, AWOL. I've, I've checked out. I know I'm saved, but, but I'm not really engaged in the battle. Maybe some of us would say, you know what, I am saved. I'm not, I'm not growing to maturity like I need to. I need to be discipled. I keep making excuses, but, but the truth is I need to submit to that. Some of us may he be here and say, the reason I'm not a good soldier is because I'm still living in sin. It's not the weight of my life weighing me down. It's the sin that so easily besets me. Whatever your heart is today, I know God has a word for you, and I know God wants to do business with you. You need to be willing to do business with God. And so just join me as we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your grace.